0: Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. There was more mindless, heartless violence in the world this week, this time in our own backyard. Yet again, human beings were destroying other human beings. What could be worse than humans destroying other humans, doing it in the name of God? The devil no doubt rejoices at such destruction. These massacres create a flurry and range of emotions for us. And by us, I don't mean those people that are in the midst of the massacre, I mean all those of us who experience them from afar. They are scary. They make us sad, they hurt physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, and they make us angry. And they stir up all sorts of deep questions in our being. Where is the meaning? Where is the hope? Thanks be to God that he has given us a promise of hope, a word of hope in his Son, Jesus. And in today's Gospel, John the Baptizer proclaims this very vision of hope that we have in Christ our God. It is a promise that was first declared by the prophet Isaiah, generations before John's time. John manifested the promise, our Lord Jesus Christ fulfills it. Let's listen again to the promise of hope that we have in Christ. It is as meaningful and true today as it has ever been. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall be made straight. The rough ways shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As you might imagine, this is not a promise of geographical hope. There is something much deeper. It is a promise of the restoration of humanity from the bondage and destruction of sin and death. St. John Chrysostom, the early fourth century bishop of Constantinople, illumines the meaning of the prophet's words. When the prophet says that every valley shall be filled, he is signifying the exaltation of the lowly. When he says that every mountain and hill shall be brought low, he is signifying the humiliation of the self-willed. When he says the rough ways shall be made smooth, he is signifying the hardness of the law changed into easiness of faith. For it is no longer toils and labors, says he, but grace and forgiveness of sins, affording great facility of salvation. In other words, great ease of salvation. He goes on to say, All flesh shall see the salvation of God, that is, everywhere, declaring that the power and knowledge of these, our Gospels, this good news, would be poured out to the ends of the world, converting the human race from, he says, a brutish disposition and a fierce temper to something very gentle and mild. The promise that we have is that the world will be made right again. And that rightness, that righteousness, that salvation has come in our Lord Jesus Christ. But what about all this evil that exists between his two advents, this age of the church, between his first coming in a stable and his second coming in glory, which we await? What about all this evil in the world? What about all this sin? What can we do? Remember Father Kraft's question several weeks ago. We want to do something. What is it that we can do? In my study this week, I stumbled across some words from Mother Teresa that I'd like to share to this point. They are given on the occasion of her being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. I had never seen her acceptance speech from that award. Uh, if you have 19 minutes to listen to her, uh, you will not, they will not be wasted. It's an incredible exposition on the love of Jesus that she shares in her acceptance speech. But when she received the award, she was asked by someone, what can we do to promote world peace? And Mother Teresa's answer was simply, go home and love your family. What can we do to promote world peace? Go home, and love your family. In other words, the peace of the world, if there is any, the peace of Christ, if it exists at all in the world, begins in the home. It begins in my family. It begins with my siblings, my spouse, my parents, my children. It begins in my own heart. In truth, these terrorists, they have no power. How can they? When the victory over sin and death has already been won through our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul writing to the Corinthians says, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? In truth, they are destroying themselves because that is what sin does. Sin destroys God's good creation. Sin creates low valleys by hurting people, humiliating them. Sin makes hills and mountains by puffing up the self with pride and self-love. All these things which are precisely the reason our Lord Jesus has come in the flesh, to fill the valleys and flatten the hills and restore and perfect his creation. What can we do? Our job is to receive the gift of life, to accept the promise, to claim the victory that we have in our Lord. That is our job. How then do we receive and claim the victory? Well, this is exactly what John the baptizer came to do, to point the way to this victory. And he does so with one simple word when he says, repent. Again, St. John Chrysostom points out the great importance of this act of repentance. It is not what we often think of it as. He says, for this end, John exhorts them to confess and repent of their sins, not that they should be punished, but that they might more easily receive the subsequent remission, remission being the letting go of, the freeing from the bonds of sin." He says, for had they not condemned themselves, they could not have sought after His grace. And not seeking, they could not have obtained remission. I think about the analogy of when we're sick, we go to the doctor. And if we don't go to the doctor, then we don't receive the healing benefits of the doctor visit. It begins in ourselves. For had they not condemned themselves, they could not have sought after His grace and not seeking, they could not have obtained remission." Our sinful nature wants desperately to point our finger in judgment at the world around us. And we can quite easily and naturally condemn just about anyone or anything other than ourselves. And in fact, the extreme of this sin nature is found in those those sad lives of these so-called extremists. So strong is their condemnation of others that they will take away mass lives arbitrarily in the name of God. In preparing the way of the Lord, John the Baptizer urges us not to condemn the world, but to point the finger at ourselves. Why does he need to preach this at all? Because we are so averse to it. That is, if we are even aware of our need to do it. Being mindful of my own sin, taking responsibility for my own unrighteousness, repenting of my wrongdoing. And as it says in the baptismal covenant, and whenever I fall into sin, repent again and return to the Lord. That is my first step in receiving the gift of life in accepting this promise, in claiming this victory, this gift given to us in Jesus. If we are able to do it at all, then it must begin in our own hearts and in our own homes. Only then can it extend into our neighborhoods, the nation, and the world. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low and the crooked will be made straight, and the rough ways will be made smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. This is a promise of hope that we can be assured of. As we anticipate with great expectation the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory, Let us live lives of continual repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. This is how we can prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts, our homes, and our families, and how we can lay claim to the promise of peace that we have in Jesus Christ. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.